You're listening to Simple Roots Radio, episode 21. There's a lot of peer pressure when it comes to eating foods. And when you simply take that out of the picture, you take away you a gross, it allows kids who like it to continue eating it without feeling ashamed. Welcome to Simple Roots Radio with Alexa Sherm. Alexa believes that simplicity in life is the key to achieving true and lasting health. A nutritionist by trade, Alexa has rebelled against common misconceptions about nutrition and has created a realistic health style that will allow you to live a healthy, satisfied, and more simplistic life. It's raw, it's real, it's unfiltered. It's Simple Roots Radio. And now your host, Alexa Scher. Welcome back to the podcast. As always, I just want to remind you that this show is dedicated to simplifying your health allowing you to live with more purpose, more joy, and ultimately achieve the lasting health you've been looking for. In doing this, it can mean going against the status quo and creating a new path, one that is realistic and brings excitement to your life. In today's episode, we're going to dig into the second part of this two-part series on raising healthy eaters. While this seems like only a topic for parents or soon-to-be parents, I think this two-part series not only opens the eyes of parents, but really anyone, as we can see so many parallels to how we eat and our own food issues as adults, summing back to when we were children. So if you want to know more about why you could have the habits you do or have children and want to provide a firm foundation, this episode and the previous episodes are just for you. In this second part of the series, we're going to dive into the what, what kids should be eating, and the tips and tricks to get them eating it. More specifically, we'll talk about handing over food control to your kids, setting table rules, and how to get them to eat almost anything. This show is going to be greatly insightful in all walks of life, but especially if you have children or are looking to have them in the future. How we raise eaters makes all the difference in their health later on in life. So let's get started. Just to remind you, in the first part of the series, we focused on the why, how, and when. This episode is all about the what, but I mentioned at the end of the previous episode, the best thing that we can do for our children is to lead by example. Don't expect them to do anything you aren't or eat anything you haven't. It doesn't work that way. And in fact, kids learn over 80% of their food preferences and habits from, you guessed it, the parents. Sure, this can be frightening, but really it should be empowering. You have the ability to encourage your kids by putting health first in your own life. So take control of your own eating, learn to be intuitive, and love and respect your body first and foremost. Then and only then can we positively impact our children and their eating preferences. I know I received a lot of questions about how to overcome picky eating, change food preferences, and get kids to eat their vegetables. Don't worry, I'm going to give you lots of tips coming up, but first let's trace the start of food preferences. Food preferences, or the taste preferences, the textures of humans, actually begins to develop in utero. So yes, an infant usually develops their food preferences based based off of what the mother ate during pregnancy. Scary, I know, right? Some research even indicates that a father's food preferences are also a part of the picture, but the majority of research has all been done in utero on what the mother is eating during her pregnancy. I know, it doesn't seem fair. A time in life when you have cravings, maybe even sickness, and all you want are carbs and more carbs. But what is fascinating is that the fetus is picking up on the preferences. 
what you're eating the majority of the time, how expansive your palate is, and the emotion and connection all as it's growing in the womb. So after the baby is born, it has a good majority of the food preferences established, meaning, yes, it's difficult in some instances to actually change a child's food preferences, but not impossible. However, if the infant is breastfed, this is also a developmental time for food preferences as they're getting the taste nutrient profile changes from the milk. So again, the child will most likely prefer what you ate during pregnancy and breastfeeding. Obviously, this isn't the same for a formula-fed infant, as the taste and nutrient profile doesn't change for formula. But basically, your starting point with all children is going to be similar profile to what you consume during pregnancy. So you can think back, take note, know what you ate, and understand that's where the starting point of their food preferences came from. However, outside of the most formative years for food preferences happen to be the first year of eating solid foods. Now I'm going to make a statement, but I don't want it to be an end-all statement. So I just want to preface this and say that there is always room to make changes and always ways to create changes. But the longer you wait to create a more expansive palate, the harder it's going to be. I can promise that it's going to be much easier to change a young toddler's food preference than an adult's. But again, not impossible. So obviously we know what that means. Try to eat an expansive array of healthy foods during pregnancy. Maybe easier said than done. But also in the first months a year of solid foods, offering as many flavorful, healthy foods as possible. We're not talking about the plain rice cereal or the plain oatmeal cereal. But we're talking kids want infants, babies, they want flavor. And I always say with kids is try and try again. When they refuse at one time and two times, three times, and what seems like a hundred times, Keep trying and try in different ways. Don't force it, but offer it. They can like something one day and dislike it the next. It's a true phenomenon. And if you've had kids, you know this. I feel like for my kids, they do this all the time. One day they like mushrooms, the next day they hate mushrooms. One day they like potatoes, the next day they hate potatoes. One day they like meat, the next day they hate it. But that's the reality with any of us. Sure, adults' food preferences might not change day to day, But our taste buds do actually have the ability to change and depending on the circumstance can some days change daily. So don't be afraid to keep trying foods and done in unique ways. While we all tend to fear change, the change in our kids' palates, the change in our own palates, change is actually completely normal and it totally makes sense. As our children changes and develop, so do their taste buds and so normal is always changing. The same happens with our seasons, and that's why we have an array of seasonal foods. They tend to make sense given what season we are in. So instead of fearing change, we need to start embracing change and understanding that no matter what aspect of life, change is happening around us, and we just need to be able to go with the flow a little bit more. Just as the seasons are changing, our foods are changing within the seasons, and they kind of mimic what our bodies are craving. So as your child changes, don't be afraid to change what you feed them with the changes in developmental stages. It's needed, it happens, and we just need to start embracing it. But before we can actually get into the what of eating them, which is pretty self-explanatory, let's just set the table rules, something I think can transform how your kids eat. But before we get into this, I have to tell you that I became especially fascinated with kids' eating patterns when we were in college. On the college campus, they had this school, and as a part of our nutrition training, that we could study how the kids were eating. 
And it's interesting that within the school, they didn't do typical cafeteria style. They did more family style meals. So in each classroom, they had a round table and they would provide bowls of food for the kids to dish themselves and put on their plate. So essentially, they were very into food independence from a very, very young age. I mean, little kids, preschoolers, were dishing out their own food, which again, develops skills not only for using the spoon or the knife or the fork or whatever it is, obviously not sharp, sharp knives when they were little, but using the spoon to dish out their own food, it creates a lot of great skills, not to mention fostering food independence. So at this school, we had the ability to watch these kids, and they were eating traditional cafeteria food. They were serving the kids what they were serving um, the adult faculty. So what we would call more sophisticated foods, definitely not chicken nuggets and french fries, right? They were eating multiple different cuisines, multiple different textures, flavor profiles, and what was fascinating is that in an environment like that where the teacher was sitting with them, where they were learning their manners, they were learning how to be appropriate and respectful to food and to eating. They were dishing it up on their plate that these kids were actually eating it and they were loving it. And so from a very young age, they were able to develop an expansive palate simply because they were given the option. They were given the choice. And when kids are given the choice, their bodies crave health. They want to be healthy when they're actually more sophisticated than you think. And so these kids were able to experience what true eating, true intuitive eating was from a very young age. What was also interesting is that none of the kids were forced to eat their food. None of the kids were forced to clean their plates. They were given the option. One thing that they did, which is always a rule at our house, is even if you don't like it or you don't want to eat it, you just have to put a little bit on your plate. Now, That seems like a funny rule, maybe a waste of food, but it really was a critical component in how these kids tried new foods and expanded their profile. So what they were finding was after 12 to 19 times of just putting the food on their plate without ever sampling it, then they became more aware of it. They were able to smell it. They were able to see it. They were able to come to grips with it and respect it and then they would actually end up trying it and whether they liked it or not they were still trying new foods because of this one principle which brings us to table rule number one whether you eat it or not you just have to put a little bit on your plate it's called a no thank you portion i don't want this food but i'm going to add it to my plate because it expands my palate even if i'm not eating it because i'm seeing it i'm not grossed out by it and I'm respecting it and the other people who are eating it. So they called it the no thank you portion. So something we do, even if you don't like it, it's on your plate. If you don't want to eat it, that's fine. You can see it. You can experience it and understand it. Maybe it doesn't work for older kids, but definitely the younger ones. So that's table rule number one. Again, I could talk all day about the stuff that we learned in that class. So So fascinating to see how the difference in this school and how they're developing taste and respecting food and developing health in these kids compared to what's happening in traditional cafeteria style lunches. Fascinating. So to tell you, in addition to where the table rules came from, one was that class I started learning how kids can be taught to respect food without being forced to clean their plate or being forced to try foods, something that I didn't actually grow up with. So after I graduated from college, I had the opportunity to go into schools and teach kids what was called pick a better snack and act. So I had the option of teaching kids and allowing kids to experience new foods and vegetables 
and fruits that maybe they wouldn't otherwise have tried. In doing this, obviously you could get a lot of backlash when you go into a classroom of 20 to 30 kids who already have pretty strong food preferences put in place. And so after going into these classrooms, I learned that there needed to be some pretty strict table rules put into place. And I learned these back from college and studying at the school on campus. And so table rules really stem from the school on campus, plus my days of pick a better snack where I taught these kids to eat more. And what I found was in creating table rules is they, I believe, were the very reason that so many kids openly and willingly tried new and scary foods. We're talking things like jicama, avocado, mushrooms, peppers. I mean, the the kids were trying foods that many probably didn't even have access to or maybe have never even tried in their life. So in doing this, keeping track of over 600 kids that went through this program, I can only account for three to five kids who absolutely refused to try something. The other 595 kids all tried every food that I brought in. Maybe not willingly, but they all did it. They all enjoyed the process because table rules were established. And I think this is important when it comes to respect. So table rules, again, all need to be done in safe environment. And the safer a child feels at the table, meaning they don't feel forced to eat anything that they don't want or clean their plates and mentioned in the previous show, they are more likely to experiment and try new foods. So the table rules that we set are, one, is your no thank you portion. Two, is we can't say you and gross. Remember, kids are molded, greatly molded and shaped by what they're hearing, by what they're seeing before they even attempt to try it. So they're taking in, they're soaking up all these experiences and they're in some sense judging a food before they even taste it based off of what they see and what they hear. So assuming their friend says you are gross, their other friend's chances of eating that food go down drastically because of peer pressure, right? That's just how kids work. So rule number two is don't say you are gross. You can't say you are gross at our dinner table. You shouldn't say you are gross at anyone's dinner table simply because even if you don't like it, they may like it and you don't want to make them feel bad for eating it. Which brings us to the third rule, which is always use our manners. Food is to be respected, our bodies to be respected, so we need to treat it with respect, saying please, thank you. That's all stuff that they learn at the dinner table, right? The fourth thing is to be brave. So just telling them, like, you're so brave for trying that food, you know, be brave, just try it. If you don't like it, you don't have to eat it, but there's no harm in trying it, and you might actually like it. You know, I say this all the time to my kids, and I don't sit there and drill it into them or watch them. You know, I say, why don't you be brave? You know, my my oldest daughter's more particular now that she's been at school and learning about all these other foods of the world that she was never experienced before going to school. But now, you know, I'll make something and she'll say, oh, I don't like that, mom. And I'll say, but you haven't tried it, so you don't know. And so I'll put it on her plate because it's a no thank you portion. I'll just say, why don't you be brave? Just take a bite. If you don't like it, don't eat it. But what's the harm in trying it? And she's really come to a point where, you know, it might take her five or 10 minutes into the meal, but then she'll try it and then she'll, of course, you know, most of the time end up liking it. Not always, but a lot of the times end up liking it. Again, really helpful, really safe, and not something that's attaching a negative emotion to food. The fourth thing is hit or miss. We don't always do this, but at Pick a Better Snack, we said you couldn't spit the food out. 
So if you didn't like it, you just needed to finish chewing it and swallow it and be done with it. You couldn't spit it out simply because of the ew and gross factor, right? That can get kind of sticky when you're working with kids. And so at home, you know, if you don't like it, just swallow it. Don't spit it out. You don't have to take another bite. It's not going to hurt you. So we just kind of go with that rule just for manners purposes. And the fifth one, if you don't like it, kind of goes with being brave. If you don't like it, you don't have to eat it all. I think having the kids know that up front makes it easier to try things when they know, hey, if I don't like it, I don't have to keep eating it. There's no pressure. Mom's not pushing me. There's no fear that something negative or negative consequence is going to be attached to not finishing food. So again, just to say those rules, a no thank you portion, don't say you are gross, use your manners, be brave, don't spit the food out, and if you don't like it, you don't have to eat it all. I've pasted those rules up before, I make them known, we talk about them, and it's amazing what these food rules did in the classroom and the impact they've had at our own dinner table. I mean, there's a lot of peer pressure when it comes to eating foods, and when you simply take that out of the picture, you take away you are gross, It allows kids who like it to continue eating it without feeling ashamed. So I would highly recommend setting food rules. Other ways to get kids to be more adventurous is, again, keep it safe. I can't stress that enough. The the more safe a child feels in a situation, the more likely they are to step out, do something brave, do something outside the box, something they've never done, and be adventurous. So the first one is, again, kids check how it looks. Kids judge food with their eyes first, so make food as appealing as possible with different textures, different layers, different options. Number two is when you eat a meal, make sure you always have a safe option available. New foods are scary to anyone, especially young palates who judge visually first. And the worst thing about going into a meal, I even see this as an adult, is not knowing if you're really going to like it and not having an option to back you up when you're hungry. So I'm not asking you to cook multiple meals, but just setting one safe dish on the table so that everyone knows that there's something they can eat when all else fails. It could be something basic like cottage cheese or string cheese or a side of corn. One safe dish, it doesn't have to be a totally separate meal, but just something they can fall back on. Number three is let them be a part of the planning. You hear this all the time. Sure, it takes work, but really all I do is generally ask them, what would you like to see on the menu this week? Or do you have any ideas for dinners or suppers or something you'd like to see in lunch? Just asking them, let them be a part of it, makes them feel accepted and makes them feel like their opinion matters and that they have value. Number four is let them be a part of the process. This definitely takes more patience, definitely takes more work and more time. Even though it can be scary and overwhelming and create a bigger mess for you to clean up, it develops more skills beyond just cooking skills, but life skills, body skills, hand eye coordination. There are so many skills that come with cooking, allowing them to use their senses. And so really just allowing them to be a part of the process at some point during each week makes a big difference. Having them help you pack their lunch, even if it's cleaning up the dinner table, showcasing that food is an event, eating as an event and something to be respected and cherished and something to really do together as a family. Number five is make it flavorful. If we look at typical kid food, it's often bland and boring or overly sweet. We think kids only eat kid foods, but what is remarkable is they often have complex palates. They like flavor. They crave flavor and are really good at distinguishing flavor. 
Remember, they are more sensitive, so flavors have more impact. But don't just serve up bland foods, add flavor and spice it up even from a young age, even from their first foods. So after all of those rules on keeping it safe, how to get kids to eat more, setting table rules, what should kids actually eat? Should we do like a drum roll for this? Basically, again, common sense. Anything that is real, wholesome food. Basically summed up with anything that doesn't need a food label. Sure, there are always going to be some of the processed things, but keeping the choices in your control as healthy as possible, as real as possible, is always going to be best. Anything outside of that maybe needs a bit more control on your end. But again, lining your kids up for success means creating a healthy and safe home environment. Not having tons of things they can only eat on your account. I mean, as adults, we wouldn't like this, right? Having food restrictions and deprivations. That's why we sneak candy from our coworker's desk or bring out the ice cream lane at night. When we deprive or restrict a child, the same thing happens. But if you just don't buy it, there isn't a lot of options. The same goes for going out to a holiday or a party. Be prepared and have a plan. Think a few steps ahead, something that maybe takes a little training, but if you know you're going to go somewhere, a parade, a carnival, a birthday party, a holiday gathering, anywhere where you know there's subpar food, have them eat something before they go. I even do this as an adult. We tend to whip up a batch of protein pancakes before we head out in public. Yes, ruining their appetite, but on my account. If I'm going to ruin their appetite, I'd just as soon do it on good food, not sugar-laden foods and beverages. So fill them up before you leave. Fill yourself up before you leave. Not only will they act better because they're fed, but they're less apt to overindulge on the junk foods that will make them crash. The same goes for carrying snacks with you or in the car. Kids need food. And when they're young, they have a really hard time verbalizing that they're hungry until they're beyond hungry and can't control themselves. Yes, kids get hangry. So to beat that and to stay on top of the game, bring snacks from trail mix to homemade or healthy granola bars, cut up fruit, pepper strips, string cheese, ham rolls, whatever you have time and space for, having healthy options beats the urge to grab something otherwise unhealthy. But the big question, how do we get them to eat and love health foods, especially vegetables? I always have to add this. First and foremost, if you're eating it, your kids are more likely to eat it. Being an example, showing them it's safe and can be delicious is the most vital component. But other things we need to consider is that our kids tend to have a harder time chewing than adults. So cutting vegetables into smaller pieces, cutting foods into smaller pieces, cutting vegetables or foods into smaller pieces, softening them by cooking or adding a sauce will all help them go down. And just to be clear on vegetables, there's no harm in cooking them if that means they'll eat them. Make sure you mix it up and have a variety. They don't have to be kid-friendly. They just have to be human-friendly. On my website, I have over 50 ways to get vegetables in your diet that taste good. I'll definitely link that roundup in the show notes. But what I think it really boils down to is offering and offering and just keep offering. If they don't like it plain, will they eat it in a casserole, a dip, raw, cooked with cheese in a soup, smoothie, or muffin? There are endless ways to mix it up but it really comes down to being safe and offering it over and over again. The fact they may never love some vegetables, but generally there are always a few they'll lean towards. For instance, my kids don't like baked sweet potatoes, but they love them roasted, fried in a pan, or as fries. 
It's all sweet potato, but with a different texture, shape, and flavor profile. Unfortunately, I don't think there's a magic trick. It comes with time, patience, and most importantly, following the why, how, and when in the end matter more and will shape the what more than we ever can. If you stick with the other tips listed in the two-part series, you'll make strides with raising a healthy eater and the what will always follow. Some things just take time and others take having someone else tell them they should eat it rather than their mom. I know, you're doing a good job. Don't give up, but don't stress over it. Align their path with healthy choices. Be an example and choose to leave a legacy. It may seem like you're not making any promise, but know you are. And one last tip before I leave, call a vegetable what it is. I get hiding them in things, but I really only do this to make those things healthier, not to trick my kids into eating them. Call it what it is, for if you always hide them and trick them, they'll never understand that they actually like what they're eating. This all stems from rebellion. Be a good example, step in when you need to, but let them be in control and watch them grow into healthy eaters with a healthy relationship with food. Well, I hope you enjoyed that two-part series on raising healthy eaters, jam-packed with so much information, going against the grain, tips that are more than just the what and more about the how, when, and the why. Take the emotion away, be a good example, and let them have the reins they're eating, even from the first time they try solid foods. Parenting is not an easy task, but it's worth it and you're doing a great job. Serve up as many healthy foods as you can and in time, they'll grow into healthy adults. In the meantime, if you're looking for more tips, tricks, and advice or are in need of a weekly meal plan, make sure you sign up for my weekly menu and prep list sent to your inbox every Thursday. To do this, log on to simplerootswellness.com and sign up. For all the information in today's show, along with the 50-plus healthy vegetable recipes I know your kids and family will love, log on to simplerootswellness.com slash 021 to get all the show notes from today's lesson. Again, I can't thank you enough for tuning in to yet another lesson and letting me be a part of your health walk. It's just small changes every day that add up to big results. Don't give up, keep fighting, and remember that our mentality How we view the world around us is making a huge difference in our overall health. So what are you doing today to live a healthier tomorrow? If you want to stay up to date on all the podcasts and bonus episodes that will be coming your way, make sure you subscribe to the show. And if you have time, leave an honest rating and review at simplerootswellness.com slash review. I can't thank you enough for being a part of this. I would love to follow along with how it's impacting your family and your own personal walk. So if you'd like to keep me informed, shoot me an email or leave a comment in the show notes at simplerootswellness.com slash zero two one. Until next week, choose to respect you and be the example you know you can. Have a good one.